This episode of We Are No Alamo, the mental health podcast, is brought to you by Thrive by 7. Today, solar energy is one of the fastest growing industries, and Thrive by 7 helps solar companies scale their business and dominate local markets by leveraging smart, innovative marketing solutions. So start investing in the future of your company with proven business solutions by visiting www.thriveby7.com. That is www.thriveby7.com. Oh, and tell them we are no Alamos and Cha. Before we get started with Natalie's story, I just need to drop some knowledge on you guys because I had a lot of questions too about the transgender community. So in 2015, a study was conducted called the United States Transgender Survey and is the largest survey examining the experiences of transgender people and had over 27,715 respondents. The study revealed disturbing patterns of mistreatment, discrimination, and disparities between transgender people in the survey and the U.S. population, especially when it comes to basic elements of life, human rights, such as finding a job, keeping a job, having a place to live, accessing medical care, and enjoying the support of family and the community. Respondents with disabilities also faced higher rates of economic instability and mistreatment. Nearly 24% of those surveyed were unemployed. 45% were living in poverty. 59% of transgender people with disabilities, including mental health, experienced serious psychological distress. 54% reported they attempted suicide in their lifetime. And this was ages 18 to you know, adults. So 42% also reported higher rates of mistreatment by healthcare providers. One reason for the high percentage of suicide attempts might be due to distress related to barriers to obtaining transition-related healthcare, such as a lack of insurance coverage, an inability to afford those procedures, or just a lack of access to providers. And as the national conversation about transgender people continues to evolve, public education efforts to improve understanding and acceptance of transgender people are crucial. This includes eliminating barriers to quality, affordable health care, putting an end to discrimination in schools, in the work- workplace, and in other areas of public life, and also creating systems of support at the municipal, state, and federal levels that meet the needs of transgender people, male to female, female to male, intersex, however, and reduce the hardships that they face. It's important. And as the national conversation about transgender people continues to evolve, public education efforts to improve understanding and acceptance of transgender people are crucial. The rates of suicide attempts, poverty, unemployment, and violence must serve as an immediate call to action. And their reduction must be a priority. Despite policy of improvements over the last several years, it is still clear that there is much work ahead to ensure that transgender people can live without fear of discrimination or violence. I'm so happy for Natalie to share her story. Thank you for being with us. Remember, you are not alone because we are no Alamo. Also, before we start, the piano music that you will be hearing throughout the podcast is played by Natalie herself. So I hope that you enjoy 
her self-soothing process that we get to share together. And be sure to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. And thank you for listening again. Wanna fam, welcome to another episode of We Are No Alamo, the mental health podcast. I'm so happy you guys are here and in the studio today we have Natalie. Natalie, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. And so how we met was I was at a Starbucks also doing some wanna interview things and I was talking to Natalie and, you know, like, okay, this is another possible person that I really want to talk to because I'm sure her story is incredible and people should hear it because after talking with you for just a few minutes, I was right. So high five. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Um, So why don't we start by you telling us a little bit about yourself, um, your age and your business. So I'm 30 years old, um, from Louisiana originally, and I moved here to Austin um, last August. So it's it's been just about a year now. Oh, congratulations! Thank you. It's way more than a lot of people <laughs> meet. So go ahead. And I work at Starbucks part time for the benefits, because being self-employed full time, health insurance is just way too expensive for me. Oh yeah. And my full-time business is basically just doing lead generation for solar companies um, in Austin and then um, throughout the country. Nice. And your business is called Thrive. Yeah, my business is called Thrive by 7. I've I've been doing marketing, consulting, and, you know, just um, digital advertising for several years now. I started my company, Thrive by Seven, in January, and at the time, I kind of was just transitioning my um, freelance consulting business to an agency model. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of multi-purpose. Uh, I was helping a lot of different niches. And um, the past couple months has been a gradual process of me um, seeking out solar companies specifically because renewable energy is an important issue to me. And I want to work with companies like that who are, who are going to be good for our future. That's awesome. And you were giving me a little, little bit of statistics um, about solar panel services and things like that. When or what is the economic... Um, environment right now with solar energy and you know implementing these solar um, panels for you know a public good um, you said something like 80 percent or something percentage from 2018 to 2019 yeah so there um, it differs throughout the country like in California um, it's more popular than in any other state mm-hmm. but um, here in Austin Texas it's also become very popular and um, every year it becomes less expensive to install solar panels on a home. Mm-hmm. Um, just the, the panels themselves are cheaper. There are more solar companies um, now serving residential areas so that the competition drives prices down. Right. Um, and, and yeah, going forward, I think that as it becomes less and less expensive um, and more people are, are kind of environmentally conscious, it'll yeah. become the norm and you have you know a team of 17 experts currently yes i have a team of 17 um these are contractors and these are you know just people i have on retainer or even people i kind of outsource to nice um and and i have most of them are doing my fulfillment um and then i have a few people that are helping me with sales and some um, client specialists that's awesome Okay, so a little bit, thank you for talking about your business. I think it's awesome as we dive deeper into your story and your experience. Um, you know, I want people to know from the very start that Natalie has been through th- some things. She wants to share it. And at the end of the day, she is an entrepreneur, owns this business, and that right there is a huge takeaway for me. Um, but what, while you're here today during this interview, what do you want people to take away at the end? Um, I just want people, especially LGBT people and including trans people listening to this interview, um, just to know that they can succeed at whatever they want to do. And sometimes it might feel like the world is against them. Um, and that people out there want them to fail, but honestly, everyone wants you to fail and it's not because you're LGBT it's because people are envious of other people's success and it's just natural human human um impulse right so the key thing is basically to want to succeed so much that you kind of just ignore the rest of the world and what people think and you just it's just all about self-love and and just moving forward um right definitely overcoming obstacles and I like how you said you know, those obstacles um, for you, we're going to go into later, but I was reading in Psychiatry Today that the greatest advances um, come not from new inventions, um, but that they come out of existing, already beneficial ones, and then just, you know, compounding those services. And basically, you were in 
the National Guard, correct? Correct. And then... I still am in the National Guard. Oh, thank you for your service. Do I say that to you? Everyone does. Um, I'm used to it. Okay, awesome. Um, And then you've been a marketing consultant. We have something in common. What's that? We both have a master's in public administration. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I like that, you know, you're providing a social good mm-hmm. um, through renewable renewable energy. That's very commendable. Thank you. Um, let's get into the meat of this story. So, Natalie, when was the last time you talked to somebody experiencing depression or anxiety or talking about MI? You know, um, I have some online trans acquaintances, um, a few friends, and I think it's very common um, for trans people in my experience to struggle with depression, um, just because coming out is such a, it can be such a difficult thing, even if you have a supportive family, which I do not, um, other than my biological dad and his two children. Um even if you have like a hundred percent supportive family and friends, just the very um, nature of transitioning um, and the ramifications uh, socially are very difficult to overcome sometimes. Um, right. And and like especially if you live in in certain you know rural areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, Austin here here in Austin, it's a great place to transition. Yeah. And where I wasn't before in Houston was also good. But I, but like it's it's difficult um, geographically. And when, well, that question that I was going to ask about, if you wrote a letter to your ten year old self and put it in a time capsule and then told yourself when you were thirty to remember to go dig it up, mm-hmm. um, and what would your ten year old self say to you? Um, number one, the way that you're going to explain that kind yeah. of situation is way better than how I wrote it. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. If I could go back in time and, and tell my 10-year-old self something, um, you know, I think at the time, back when I was 10, like, I've always had gender dysphoria, which means that I felt um, inauthentic, um, you know, as a as a boy growing up. Uh-huh. But to an extent, it was all kind of self subconscious, um, it wasn't until like during college and a little bit after college that I kind of was in the process of coming to terms with it and not being in denial. Right. How did you even realize that you had to come to terms with something in yourself, like in your genes? It's part of you. How do you, you know, come to terms with something that society doesn't really understand yet or even can grasp? Right. Because, um, you know, being transgender was considered a disorder yeah. for a lot of people. Um, but in May 2013, um, medical professors, professionals uh, removed gender identity disorder from the DSMV or Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders and replaced it with gender dysphoria. Um, and it changed the whole criteria for diagnosis. So can you tell me a little more about the gender dysphoria part absolutely um so yeah coming to terms with it um is an interesting question because you know there's not really a magical pill that i can take that's gonna like 
turned me into, you know, a cis woman. Yeah. Um, or a camp that you can go to. Exactly. Like, I'm always going to have, like, my, my learned experiences growing up. Um, and, you know, like, I guess my masculine socialization, which, like, never really affected me too much, especially since I was actually homeschooled. Um, I didn't go to school. And I think that's a that's kind of a, a double-edged sword in right. a way because um, growing up, while I didn't have that that peer pressure to be you know to be masculine from other other friends of mine or, or peers, right. um, I think that if I had been at a school growing up um, and had more friends and you know just people other than my own little family bubble, I probably would have really... transitioned sooner. Oh, okay. So, you said that you were how old in college when you started accepting and started transitioning? Um, so, when I started transitioning, it was 2015. Okay. Um, and at the time, I guess I was 27. Okay. And can you explain, because I'll be the first to admit it, I'm ignorant of, you know, a lot of things. The only thing I know... And I judge myself for this. I feel a lot of guilt and shame about this um, because I do have transgender friends, but I have been too scared to say the only thing I know about this is Bruce Jenner transgendering into a woman, transitioning, you know what I'm saying, into Caitlyn. And so the questions that I ask you are coming from a good place in my heart. And I hope that some of the questions, if you're uncomfortable with it, feel free to just pass, you know? Um, but my first question, and I think a lot of people um, kind of, you know, assume that as soon as you identify as transgender and you go through the transition process, that everyone gets surgery to become either a man or a woman. Is right, a and I, I think that surgery... Um, you know, if surgery was readily accessible to anyone and everyone, um, if cost wasn't an issue, um, and, you know, getting, um, you know, letters from a psychiatrist, or not a psychiatrist, but, you know, a mental health professional and, and doctors. Right. Um, I think that more people would be able to do it. Um, there's always going to be some people, though, who don't want to do it, and that's just for, for their own personal reasons. Um, and I can't, I can't really understand that, but people, everyone's different. So what's good for me is not necessarily going to be good for everyone else. Right. Exactly. And that takes a lot of self-awareness. Mm -hmm. Right. And I like that you said, if we had access to more healthcare options, then maybe people would think more about it. Right. And I think maybe that's where this myth or misconception comes from. Um, and honestly, people have been, you know, starting to talk more openly about mental health and depression and anxiety and bipolar and all these things in the news and the media. And I'm still not really seeing the LGBTQ community come out with, you know, we are transgender people, like hear us roar, we ha exist, you know. So is that also a misconception? that you haven't fallen through the cracks. You're just trying to get to a space to you know, I think, I think there, there's not really a, um, what's the word? There's not really a, 
a whole, you know, transgender community. Yeah. Um, it's kind of splintered. There, there's a very wide range of ideology among trans people. Okay. Um, you know, some people think that you have to have gender dysphoria to be trans. Some people think that, you know, it's all about whatever you self-identify as. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some people believe those things and and are conservative, whereas others are believe either of those things and are liberal. Right. So it, it's kind of difficult to um, one answer. Yeah. Um, and and that's and these these ideas are such core tenets um, when it comes to being trans or just the issue of uh, of trans related issues, I guess. Right. And I think you know going back um, to that letter to yourself, if mm-hmm. you were going to write about your experiences to someone else who just started. What advice, what would you say to them? Like give them a little strength and hope that there is a community out there, even though it is splintered, you still are not alone. I think I would, I would have to write um, that it's fine to be yourself and you don't have anything to lose. Um, right. Because if, if you don't do it now then, and you have gender dysphoria, you're, you're going to want to do it later. Yeah. And you live, you know, with shame of maybe not accepting yourself with how you are Mm -hmm. and, you know, the guilt of not doing anything about it. And from what I'm hearing from you is that that really takes away from building a life worth living if you can live as your real true self, right? My number one regret is not transitioning um, sooner than I did. Right. And the main reason I didn't... um, was first of all because of my very conservative Catholic family mm-hmm. um, who kind of just just the the pressure from them kept me from it and yeah. they didn't even what know. are they gonna think what are they gonna right think? right and mm-hmm. like growing up I think uh, my my mom might have had an idea I was even though she says she doesn't mm-hmm. um, or she didn't but I never really officially um, told them that I had gender dysphoria or that I was trans until several years ago Um, and then even more recently, I actually found out that I was intersex. Um, I have mosaic Klinefelter syndrome, which, uh, caused me to go through, um, some form of female puberty, um, even before I started taking hormones. This was back in 2015. Okay. And can you expand on that a little bit? I've never heard of this before. I mean, I read the book intersex, Mm -hmm. but also that was over a decade ago or whenever it came out, you know? So this is very interesting to me and I'm sure the listeners as well. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, so there are lots and lots and lots of different inter- intersex conditions. Um, some of them are less common than others. Mine is pretty uncommon. Um, Klinefelters, just the basic Klinefelters is XXY. And people that have that, um, the the symptoms of that kind of manifest themselves during early childhood. Okay. Um, but my mosaicism, which is kind of like, um, mosaicism is like a separate intersex thing that people with, with both Klinefelters and, and also Sawyer's, which is XXXY, um, can have. Okay. And I can't really, I'm not a, a very medical or, or scientific person, so I can't really get into the genetic details of mm-hmm. what, what mosaicism is 
but I can say that the fact that I have it means that I, um, growing up, like I, no one would have ever guessed I was intersex. Um, it wasn't until my early to mid twenties that I started having these symptoms, um, going through like female puberty. And I think that's so interesting because how did you like handle that part? Because we talk about on this podcast all the time about how, you know, depression, anxiety, all of those things are invisible illnesses where people can't see the pain that it's causing us. Or in your case, these physical changes that hashtag normal people experience. You know, I think it was actually a really good thing for me because it, it pushed me to um, confront my denial, um, you know? Yeah. And I, I think at, at some point I would have transitioned, like, um, but because of this, like, you know, my body was already starting to um, to go through changes, and my gender dysphoria was stronger than it had been previously. So I think okay. I think if I didn't have gender dysphoria, though, it probably would have been something that was was really difficult to deal with, and I can't even imagine what that would have been like. Yeah, I'm, it's really interesting that you said um, your gender dysphoria got worse because when I talk about my bipolar, um, there's periods of depression and mania, right? Mm-hmm. So I have escalations and de-escalations and if I'm in a place um, they can also be worse or the depression can be not as bad um, but there's still the ups and downs Um, so what does that mean to you when your gender dysphoria got worse I think it it basically meant that it was becoming um, more and more difficult to method act as you know a young that's man a good way to put it that's a really good way to put it thank you very true to life because i can't even imagine and i'm so grateful that you're here and opening up about this because typically people who come out of method acting don't you know come all the way back to normal from that right or you know what i mean by normal yeah. So what was your, what was your line? And you're like, okay, I'm done. I'm successful in my own right. Highly educated. I have a degree in theology and a master's degree. And now this entrepreneurial degree that I do, and I'm starting my business and, you know, I've served my country. Well, funny story. A few years back, I was actually not successful in any way at all. And I was on the verge of homelessness, uh, living at my parents' They didn't really, I hadn't really come out to them um, entirely. And and even if I had, like, for a a while, they were in denial. And they thought it would just be a phase. And, like, they wanted me to go to, like, some, you know, Christian therapist or see a priest or whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, Someone who was, someone who was probably, you know, if it was a Christian therapist, probably not abiding by, you know, what the D, what is it called again? The DSMV. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Not abiding by what that says, right? Um, but yeah, I was I was very depressed, and I was still living. I just started taking hormones, and I was still um, 
no one who would look at me, no one who would see me would probably think that I was trans yeah. or intersex. Um, I was, I've been in the National Guard since 2010. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until actually last year, um, October, that I started growing my hair out. Wow. Um, so my hair is still pretty short right now. It's beautiful. Thank you. And it looks very nicely coiffed and Thank shiny. You. And I like your natural color. Let's just go with it. It's your natural color, right? Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, so you said a little bit before about how removing like tra- transgender identity, everything like that, from the DSMB um, was both a good and a bad thing. So what yes. did you mean by the good part? Well, I think the or good the thing about part. it is that um, it removes some, some of the stigma associated with being trans. Because a lot of a lot of people who, um, I guess, have m- misconceptions about trans people and gender dysphoria and transitioning, mm-hmm. they they see the fact oh it's a mental illness so like how do we treat mental illnesses? Um, we treat it with th- with therapy, um, and we don't like cater to people with mental illnesses. And they see people physically and and socially tra- or medically and socially transitioning as catering to their mental illness. Exactly. Which is which like, is totally um, incorrect. Exactly, like you're enabling them and telling them that this is okay for you to be this way, when in reality they're not really on the same level. Right. Right. Um, so your relationship with your parents, I know that my relationship with my family um, started degenerating after my first hospitalization um, for an attempt and then going through the whole process of you know going to the hospital going to therapy seeing my psychiatrist on a regular basis um, making my mental health a priority even though I go through these ups and downs I've learned to surround myself with skillful friends who hold me accountable and a lot of them I met in intensive outpatient. Shout out Ashley, our website and graphic designer. Check her out on Ashley Wood and Yelp. Um, so with that came kind of the same splintering effect with my sisters and I, my father, um, because they saw me, and this is just my, you know, how I felt about it. They saw me as broken and it took too much energy out of them and what they are going through with their life to actually deal with me. Right. And my mom luckily has been, you know, my biggest advocate, um, especially, um, over this past year when I'm finally at my baseline and we're no Alamo and talking to people like you and, you know, just, this community of people who are so ready and willing to share their stories that decreases shame all around, decreases shame in myself because I'm living my true self and my true life and I have good days and I have bad days, but I don't want to die anymore. Yeah. I have a purpose. Everyone has a purpose. And luckily I found wine, mine, wine. (laughs) Luckily I found wine. No. And it sounds like you found your purpose. Yeah. And your aura is just so happy. Oh, well, thank you. And I can only imagine going through that part of the painful and really, you know, living that kind of pain where you feel, I'm sure you felt like you lost a lot. 
but at the end of the day, did you feel like you gained more? I would say definitely. Okay. Like, if you saw me What's three that? years ago, um, I don't think you'd recognize me both physically and just, um, you know, my attitude and my outlook on right. life. How has that changed? Well, I, like I said before, I had really, really bad depression. Um, I was driving for Uber pretty much on a full-time basis, um, just barely affording to pay my bills, even while living at my parents' house. Right. Um, and I was... What I would do is I would come home um, every day and I would just watch TV or movie um, and just like drink wine or, or something. Mm-hmm. I'd pretty much drink every night for, and that lasted for probably about a year. Yeah. And I never, like I never got seriously drunk or anything, but um, you were I was... You yourself somehow. Yeah. 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 And when did you realize that that wasn't going to help anymore like you sat in that for a while then it sounds like you woke up and had an epiphany and was like well actually I didn't help. it's it's really been a gradual process um and I think the part of my depression came from from you know being in denial about being trans and not living my authentic self yeah and part of it was just the fact that I had such difficulty finding a job because I wasn't confident and because um I had a victim mindset. Um, I, I thought the world was against me. I thought that I was really unlucky. Um, I thought that that other people, um, you know, things about other people were brought them success, but but I didn't have those natural, you know, talents or skills, or I didn't know the right people. Yeah, even. and also I'm sure you're feeling like, oh, no one can find out about this. Like, it's not ready. I'm already, yeah. you know in this stressful life transition and also a personal transition now like I didn't even want to know that how am I supposed to go out there and you know let others know about it yeah right so with starting thrive by seven did it also completely give you another sense of self-worth it did yes um just having having something that I I, I own basically um, something outside of myself that that is helping other people um, is is really great. Like in college and like growing up, I never saw myself as as someone who would start a business or be self employed. Right. Um, you know, in college, I always wanted to work for a big company, have a successful job, um, and be excited about 10% annual raises. Yeah. Which and then we got our MPAs. Yeah. We love public service. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? There's so much good that comes out of that. And when did you stop pretending everything was okay? Um, I think I like I said it was it's kind of a gradual process, but I think my first foray into being self-employed was through a company that's that's actually, um, I'll just say what it is. It's, it was Primerica. Um, it's kind of an, a company with a bad rap because it's it's MLM ish. You know, like um, it's MLM. Yeah. What is that? A multi-level marketing company. All right. So, so yeah, it wasn't for me. Um, I realized that after a year, but the things I learned um, from working with that company 
were very, very invaluable. Um, I learned a lot about being self-employed um, to, to that extent that I was with that company. And I learned that I really, really like marketing. Yeah. Um, and I, I knew like I had to be self-employed. Like I didn't want to work for some job. Right. Um, I, I basically just, um, while I was with the company, I was Googling different ways of making money online. Um, I learned about affiliate marketing. I learned about real estate wholesaling. Um, and I did both of those things successfully for, for very briefly. Um, real estate wholesaling was good, but it, it just wasn't really something that I was passionate about. Uh-huh. And affiliate marketing, which is basically anonymously um, marketing different goods or services on social media and making commission off of sales. Right. Um, it was just kind of stressful and inconsistent. So I, I realized I needed to do something else. So how did you turn, like, return on your investment after you started Thrive, basically using a social good as a product? How did you get to that spot? Well, that makes sense. affiliate marketing is how I learned how to run Facebook ads and um, email marketing campaigns and sales funnels. Um, and I, all that stuff that I learned, um, I basically gradually became a consultant. Um, and I taught local businesses how to do that, um, how to market for themselves. And I did that for a while. And then in this past January um, yeah. was when I realized that, that doing this, um, it just took up a lot of my time. Like I couldn't right. do everything because I was, I was doing my own, you know, my own sales, my own fulfillment of the services and um, just running everything, running running the freelance business. And also your personal life. Where did right. that come? <laughs> yeah. Where did that go? Yeah. Um, um, even now, like my personal life is pretty limited. Um, I find myself working a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but the good thing about now is like, there's kind of like, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Right. Like, I, I kind of like have an end goal with the company because I'm outsourcing just about everything. Um, I'm oh, barely, okay. I'm barely doing any work other than planning and just kind of like figuring out what to outsource and yeah. how to outsource. So is it like process planning, things like that? It's process optimization. Okay. And it's automation and outsourcing, basically delegation. Nice. And to all of our listeners out there, I just want you to know that this is important information because Natalie is gracious enough to, number one, come in and tell your story from a very raw perspective, personally, and also um, say, you know, I never saw myself as a business owner. owner. And at the end of the story, or at the end of this part of the interview, you've given us you know, steps on how to go from, I was here as well, almost homeless to now I run this company. I think, I think once some advice I can give as far as that goes, Go ahead. everyone has limiting beliefs and I I used to have a lot. Um, some people only have a few, but if, even if you have a few limiting beliefs and you very, they're very deeply ingrained in you. Um, for example, maybe, maybe you grew up, um, poor, and you thought that you saw that your parents worked uh, low-paying jobs, and you thought that that was the only way for you 
um, right. because your friends um, maybe had wealthy parents and in college you saw them getting good jobs right. um, and you knew that they were going to succeed because they grew up um, in an environment of success. Mm-hmm. And well, in an environment of foundational security. Exactly. They're, they're privileged. Yeah. But just because they're privileged um, doesn't mean that that they're the only people who have what it takes to succeed. Exactly. And uh, during the last interview, um, Carter's story owns the Pinnery. Please listen back to the episode. Check out Pinnery.com and take a look at all of his products because he's an awesome person and is also a small business in Austin. Go help support your local businesses. Um, but what I learned from him was we talked about how social media is used so much to get the word out there about, you know, new business ideas, new products. Um, you know, we are no Alamo. I really took a step back from, you know, posting on Instagram, um, on Facebook, not often because those analytics aren't what matter. What matters is whenever I come up to somebody, my public service with We Are No Alamo right now is sharing stories to decrease stigma and offer others a sense of hope, right? Um, so with the whole like lack of social media, I have been seeing like some decrease in interaction, but at the end of the day, it's more important for you know this part to be real, like in yeah. real life, talk to each other. Um, I was on social media blackout for almost two years while I was, you know, taking care of my mental health because just like you were talking about, I watched my friends that I grew up with go work for KPMG, go become CPAs, you know, Deloitte, all these things, and they're set for life. And that just is not my experience. It will never be my experience. And you have also done what I'm trying to do with We Are No Alamo is start something that you own. It's your creation. It makes you feel good and it gives you flexibility to make sure that you have the opportunity to take care of yourself because even yeah. though you don't have the opportunity to move up, you're already at the top. You know yeah. what I'm saying? There's, I don't have any opportunity of moving up, but I do have tremendous opportunity of expanding um, yeah. and growing my business people and people who have really good jobs out of college um even like 20 years down the road like they're they're vice presidents of a company right um they're getting paid well um they have a lot of financial stability mm-hmm. um which i plan to have by the way but oh, they yeah. they have a lot of they can rely on on bi-weekly paychecks mm-hmm. um we're hustling but, still but how much pride can they take in the fact that they spend 40 hours a week um, growing another person's organization. Right. I like how you said that. You want to dive into your depression? Yes. Okay. When was the first time you realized that um, I'm sad and I don't know why, but I'm just going to sit here and wait it out? Was that, how did it start? Basically. The first time I realized that I had depression was when I, I stopped having depression. Oh my gosh. Okay. Continue. So I think my whole life, um, 
I mean, not my whole life, because I was very, very happy as a child. Right. But ever, ever since, like, middle school to high school, when I hit puberty, I guess, um, I just had depression. And looking back, I know it's because um, I knew that, that I was different than other people. And I didn't feel like um, I fit in. I was socially awkward. And, um, and now, like, I know I was, I was inauthentic. Like, I was, I was trying to be, be someone else, you know? Yeah. I was trying to, like, be a young man, yeah. which, which, like, was very, very bad for my psyche. And it sounds like, you know, the guilt and shame part that we're talking about, it's, I need to help others in order for them to like me because I can't help myself right now. So maybe if I do things to make them happy, then I'll be happy. Does that make sense? Right. Is that was kind of what you're thinking during um, that time? Yeah, I think that as well. Okay. Um, I definitely felt like I had a lot of pressure from from my family to to be someone I wasn't. Yeah. And did you pressure yourself? Um, I've always been a very competitive person, so I probably did. Yeah. And you said that you realized you're depressed depressed after you weren't depressed anymore. And I can relate. I really can because, you know, before I got on antidepressants and I'm not like for medication or against medication, medication works for me. Speak with your healthcare providers about what's right for you. Because I think for me, my psychiatrist, my therapist and my medication and, you know, working has made me, realize, okay, I'm starting to get a little depressed. Um, and that self-awareness is like, oh, I just got glasses after not being able to see. Exactly. And now all of a sudden, what? I don't feel like sad. I think that's a really good analogy. Thank you. And then you can finally see, and then it opens up so many doors for you personally, you know, like, okay, I was in this place. And now I have, like, power over myself somehow. Maybe I can, like, put this out into the universe in my life. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I, I still do um, have bouts with depression. Um, you know, every couple months maybe I'll have just, like, a really off week or a couple of days. Um, and I just, I'll struggle with, with being productive during the day. Um, right. I won't feel motivated at all to get get stuff done that normally I'm super motivated to get done. Yeah. Um, But the difference now is that because I've gotten rid of all these limiting beliefs I used to have about myself and because I'm living more authentically now, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's not a constant thing. It's not something that I I deal with like every single morning when I wake up. Great. I mean, I'm kind of jealous that you didn't realize you were depressed until you weren't, honestly. (laughs) But, you know, everyone's journey is different. And, you know, pain is pain. And I'm happy that you're able to get out of the pain that you didn't know you were experiencing. Um, Because oftentimes people realize they're depressed, but they're so far deep down into that hole, there's no way they can see the light. Yeah. You know, so I'm happy that you didn't have to get to that place. Mm -hmm. And it was a huge part of you becoming your authentic self. Right. Yeah. And in hindsight, it was really obvious that I was depressed. 
and I don't know how I didn't know at the time. How, how would you have seen red flags if you um, didn't know what they were? Yeah, I just didn't know what to look for. Um, I wasn't seeing therapists. Like, the only times I ever saw therapists were for, um, you know, getting my gender dysphoria diagnosis mm-hmm. um, and then letters for um, transition-related procedures. But other than that, like, I never saw a therapist for depression. Um, I suspect growing up that I had ADD, but I, since I never saw a therapist because um, that just wasn't something my family was really, um, like, this is going to sound bad. My family is not in any way um, opposed to seeing therapists or, or like, sending children to therapy. Right. But it's not, it's definitely not going to be something that they um, prioritize. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to put it, I think. And from my family, I don't know. Well, actually, I do know. My mom and dad were very against it just because of their um, experiences with therapy. Um, so for me, it was kind of like, okay, Paige, you know what your doctor says. Go try it, and you might have to go therapist shopping. So it's okay if something doesn't work out to try something else. Right. Um, so for you to go to therapy or no, was it your doctor? Basically where I'm going with this is how do you get diagnosed with gender dysphoria? Dysphoria. Thank you. It's not gender dysmorphia, gender dysphoria. Um, I think it kind of varies by therapist because some therapists are going to be stricter in their interpretation of um of like how well they need to get to know a patient before they they diagnose them because it is true like in the past people have been misdiagnosed by overzealous overzealous therapists who maybe just really wanted to do what was best for their patients um without actually you know going through what the dsm v or four or three I guess probably not three, but what the DSM four and five probably would have said. Right. Um, and then there are some people who really take a lot of time diagnosing. Um, they'll, they'll see them for like, you know, maybe like six to nine sessions at least. Mm-hmm. In my case, I saw someone who diagnosed me after three sessions. Oh my gosh. So, um, so yeah, I, other than more recent therapist visits, um, those three therapy sessions were the only sessions of therapy I ever had. Wow. And why do you think they only took three sessions? Um, I think they just had a, a more um, affirming interpretation of how, of how to, to treat and serve um, trans people. Okay. So that's kind of good, right? I mean, it sounds to me like it would be good because they already had a background in you know, working with people and you don't want to have to go. I mean, I guess there are pros and cons because like in my case, I think it was good. I don't think I'm ever going to regret transitioning, but I know some people um, and it's, and by the way, um, just so no one misinterprets this, this is like very much not the norm. Um, There have been a few famous cases of people being misdiagnosed and regretting transition and one person I can think of in particular is now an anti-trans activist. Um, Do you know their name? Yes. His name is Walt Heyer. 
or hair. Um, and he basically um, was misdiagnosed with gender dysphoria and had a lot of like transition surgeries. Um, and and now like because of his personal experience, which is not the norm, he thinks that gender dysphoria is something that should be treated with with um, therapy and that people shouldn't transition. Wow. That. And he's written many books on this, um, all of which are are very popular among um, conservative websites. That is something that I am definitely going to dig through, Mr. Walt. Um, that's something I've never heard about, really. Yeah. That they're, I mean, of course, you know, back in the day before they started marking, this is going to get a little gory, but before people started, you know, writing on people who were getting their legs or their arm amputated, they had to make sure that they were amputating the right one because then they wake up and now they're going to have to miss two limbs. Exactly. You know? So I understand where the misdiagnosis part comes from. Um, however, there's just a huge part in there and the whole to me is if you're misdiagnosed and then go through all of these other things. Also, it wasn't he, his therapist's fault, by the way. Tell me more. Um, he, like in one of his books, he, he even admits that he lied to the therapist. So when you, you lie to your therapist and like they come to the wrong conclusion, it's not their fault. It's your fault. Exactly. And it should be a safe space. And if you're not comfortable with being completely open to a therapist, go therapist shopping because there are people out there who can help you and understand you. And you don't have to be afraid. These men and women do this for a living. There's probably nothing they haven't heard. And if there is something they haven't heard, they're really going to want to talk to you, you know, to make sure that there's growth involved right. for you and for them, mm-hmm. right? Um, and we talked about, like, you have experience with depression. And you said, like, in the trans community, um, a lot of people deal with anxiety. And you don't have personal experience with anxiety, but a lot of your acquaintances and friends do. Yeah. And I don't really know why I don't really have experience with anxiety because... Um, you know, even early on in my transition, like I was nervous to socialize like in a, in a female way, like, you know, mm-hmm. um, I felt like to like, even though it's really hard to explain because to an extent, like it felt like I was being authentic, but then like people would stare at me cause like I looked out of place and so I felt awkward. Okay. Um, and I, I know that's that's very normal for people early on in their transition. You gotta have those worry thoughts, of course. Like these people that you've known, and while you're going through a transition, I'm sure people that you meet, mm-hmm. there are questions that you don't know if it's good or bad to ask. And it yeah. might, like you having these worry thoughts in your situation, a lot of people, I'm speaking from my self experience, I don't know if it's appropriate or not to approach you. And be like, hey, are you okay? Like, I understand that there's something different happening. And, of course, I would have to be, like, involved in their lives more than just me coming up and be like, hey, do you have a problem? You know, well, I guess that's what I do for We Are Not Alamo. But, you know, there are certain situations where that's just not appropriate. Right. So do you have an experience where someone really helped you through that worrying time? 
Yeah, um, I did have some trans friends who were, you know, further along in their transitions. Mm-hmm. Um, and they definitely helped me, um, you know, because at the time, like, I had no idea about, like, makeup or fashion. Um, I don't either, though. <laughs> we're both 30. <laughs> I know. But <laughs> should read magazines or something. <laughs> but these people did, and they helped me um, wear, nice. you know, age-appropriate clothing. And not dress like, you know, a 50-year-old lady for some reason. I don't know why I did that for a Probably time. because you were feeling self-conscious anyway. And typically, 50-year-old women wear not revealing clothing. Yeah, I guess it, it was more conservative dressing. Right. Um, so anyway, but I, I Good think... Good friends, by the way. High five friends. Thank you, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I think that a lot of trans people who experienced this um, in the early stages of their transition... It probably it probably compounds um, their anxiety, oh my gosh, and maybe yeah. even like helps kind of like develop some anxiety in them. Yeah, and um, it, and it just never really did that for me. That's good for you, mm-hmm. like honestly, that you were able to you know understand, deal with your depression, understand yourself, and then go through this process. Um, when you are with people who are experiencing anxiety, are they? transitioning are they trans people or are is it just i have anxiety today yeah some people have really strong anxiety and i and i really don't know like i don't want to say something that's subjectively wrong because i'm not a therapist so i don't know if like trans people with anxiety if they suffer from severe anxiety because they're trans and just like the implications of of their being trans or maybe if, if like, um, if it's just unrelated. But but the people that I who I know in particular who have really strong, severe um, symptoms of anxiety mm-hmm. sometimes like are unemployed and relying on on benefits. Or maybe even if they are employed, it's it's, it's very um, it's part time or and or and minimum wage, um, very just like very non competitive jobs. And some of them, like, I know, have trouble keeping these jobs. Yeah. Um, and that, and I just noticed that this anxiety, um, this clinical anxiety, is seems to be more common among trans people. Um, and I, I'm not sure why that is. It's just something I notice. Yeah. And also, it's crazy. Um, you know, transgender people who often experience or experience depression and anxiety or at a higher risk of attempting or completing suicide. Right. Um, and a lot of them are transgender youth. Right. Yeah. And, um, this guy named Nick Adams who works for glad G L A A D. Um, he's a transgender man and says that all of us should be really concerned about the numbers of transgender people, number one, attempting, number two, completing suicide, just because they experienced the shame that you were able to get through and you had, you know, help and you have like, God, you got grit, girl, you really do. Um, But his message is that the culture needs to change um, so that transgender people can see a future for themselves right. and their peers and acquaintances and friends um, so that they can survive. Yeah. And, you know, in 2015, there were 
seven transgender women who are murdered in the United States. So we're not even talking about like a self stigma. We're still talking about a social stigma, yeah. which ends in homicide. You know, so it seems like there's this compounded hatred of oneself and also of society. And so I hope that by talking about this, it's definitely helped me um, view the culture of it differently because, you know, this is how it starts. I think, right? I think there are two misconceptions. There you go. Let me hear them. Um, so I think the biggest misconception that, that a lot of people listening probably know about is that um, trans people commit or complete suicide and attempt it because they're trans um, and they're transitioning and it was a mistake. Um, and that's the misconception that, that everyone or most people are aware of. Um, and because, that's what we were talking about, Walter, whatever. Exactly. Okay. Um, but the, the fact of the matter is um, people are tempted to complete suicide because they don't have family or friend support. Um, Basically, they feel like they lost everything in order exactly. to Exactly, and, and sometimes live. they do. Like, they, you know, they lose their marriage, um, access to their kids, their jobs, um, financial stability, um, mm-hmm. because they transition and right. l- decide to live authentically. Um, and it's not it's, so it's not because It's not because they're um, make, making a wrong decision and they're transitioning and it's bad for their mental health. Right. It's because of the of all the the consequences of them doing that, um, right. because because of just the the place uh, we are as a society. And I, and I can totally understand that, especially um, from a bipolar perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, I came out <laughs> basically as bipolar and depressed and anxious and putting myself first so that. I don't literally attempt again or complete at the end of the day. Um, But having the experiencing that loss of everything that was important to you in order for you to be okay. um, And then in turn actually doesn't work for some people because they feel like they lost everything. Um, I hope that our listeners can use We Are No Alamo as a resource to hopefully, we say it all the time, but you really aren't alone. And people go through these experiences. And whenever you come out on the other side, if you have the ability to, then everything is so much better. And all it takes is asking. Yeah. You know? Um is there another misconception about like the anxiety and depression stuff with the transgender community? Yeah, and I actually lost my train of thought on what oh. that was, but I, it was it was just an insight that I kind of had at the time. Tight. Okay. <laughs> Next question. So I don't remember what article I was reading, but it talks about their strength in stopping, s- stopping censoring yourself. Right? Just say whatever the fuck you feel. Exactly. If it's going to help and if it's going to offer information. And I, I think um, 
I have a lot to say about this, by the way. Go ahead. <laughs> ding, ding. So I think that that you're absolutely correct. Um, and I, I can point to someone that, that some of the listeners may have heard of. Um, possibly not, unless they're self-employed or, or into entrepreneurship. Um, and his name is Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, he's a, a famous um, entrepreneur, um, very, very savvy on social media. But um, the thing that he's pretty well known for is not censoring himself. Um, he just like says it how it is. He doesn't. Um, he doesn't stop Sugarcoat. himself from swearing. Yeah. Or you know, trying to say something that's going to please all the right people. Mm-hmm. He, he just says, like, whatever he thinks about anything. Right. Can you give him an example? Um, if you ever see him live or or even just on video on social media, yeah. just just Google Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, any interview of him, any speech that he's, or not speech, but any any talk that he's, he's given on anything, he's, he's probably going to drop at least 20 F-bombs. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's really great because it, it's his way of like putting emphasis on things right. and, and being authentic. Yeah. I like that he doesn't censor himself with using the word fuck. Fuck. Exactly. Fuck. Because growing up, I grew up in West Texas and it was like, people curse because they don't have more vocabulary to describe what's going on. And I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like... Like he he has a great vocabulary. Of people, course, people who 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 say that, um, I think they're just looking for a way to discourage um, using that kind of language because they're prudes. Right. I mean, there have been people um, like, hey, you know, maybe you should kind of tone it down since like your listener base is like high school and early twenties and like, you know. 30s and whatever and I said I understand however one of these kids in high school was transitioning and completed suicide so and I don't know if you've heard about Netflix finally taking the suicide um, scene out of 13 reasons why on Netflix Did I say no I hadn't heard of that okay they finally took it out because, and I talked about it on quite a few podcasts because they were romanticizing and dramatizing this whole suicide situation with tapes and with entertainment. And she was using suicide to get back at people, to like make them hurt as much as she hurt and feel guilt and shame that she felt before she completed suicide. And that sounds uh, like a not a good thing to broadcast. Exactly. And it was a book before. And, you know, getting made into a movie, I just think it could have been done uh, a lot. And we just talked about not censoring. Exactly. However, it's kind of ironic, but this is a totally different issue. It is. Because when you censor yourself, that's that's you being not spontaneous, which is not a good thing. But, right. But these, these are stories that are told and are, are planned and written. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not a question of being spontaneous versus not being spontaneous or, or authenticity. Mm-hmm. And true. Um, do you think that removing that scene 
was kind of the right thing to do because it was so graphic about suicide. I mean, you don't know about it, but you know, I think if it, I think if it glorified or promoted it, and it was um, causing people to complete suicide, then it, it probably was a good thing that they got rid of it. Yeah, and um, it was on for two years with that graphic suicide scene, and. I really was thinking that it was putting, you know, vulnerable viewers at increased risk for self-harm. Um, before we started recording, we talked about, you know, suicide in the news has greatly decreased yeah. because, you know, people go out and are like, oh, this is an option? Like, crazy. Um, but I think that removing that visual aftermath of her suicide was a good thing. Um Number one, it just puts more emphasis on the story instead of you waiting to see if it bleeds, it leads at the end. And that doesn't show her as a person, shows her as a prop. And the bigger picture here is we could have helped this girl if we had only seen the red flags. Like you um, knew you were depressed after you got through your depression yeah um fortunately i don't think i ever came close to completing suicide um and i i don't think i even was really ever suicidal Mm -hmm. um but if i had been i don't think there would have been any red flags right um but but then again like a lot of people who are are don't come off as being depressed and i i definitely came off as being depressed when i was yeah um So, in 13 Reasons Why, there's a lot of self-harm going on, right? And there are very varying um, explanations or how people define self-harm. Do you have experience with, you know, not externally self-harming or... Yeah. So, um, I have body issues that come with being trans i think everyone who's trans does i don't have body dysmorphia which is something that a lot of people have um Mm -hmm. and i know trans people who have that and but it um but yeah that's body dysmorphia is actually a clinical uh diagnosed thing that i don't have but i do there are things about my my body that i i do hate Mm -hmm. um and and like, um, I want to, well, I have a realistic goal of like getting myself to where I want to be. I and like that you said realistic goal. Oh. That's really skillful. Thank that, you. It really is. Okay. It, it's realistic and it's not, um, it's not stemming from any sort of body dysmorphia. Okay. But, um, I have struggled with binge eating in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's linked to my depression. Um, I don't struggle with any other EDs. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just, it seems like whenever I lose some weight, um, cause I, I have a, some excess muscle mass that comes with, um, you know, me having joined the military as right. a young man mm-hmm. and building a lot of upper body muscle mass. Right. And I've, I've lost a whole lot of it, but there's still something I'm trying to lose. Okay. And it seems like, um. It seems like when I, I start to lose some weight, like 
sometimes the the binging will kick in. And why do you think that started manifesting? Um, I think because I want to be, I want to feel like I'm living authentically. Mm -hmm. Um, and I do uh, much more than I ever have, but I also want to, you know, know that society views me as a woman. Right. And it's difficult to, to think that they do when Mm -hmm. I, when I have the body that I have. Right. Exactly. Love yourself, people. So you don't have a problem with binge eating anymore? Um, not very, not very often. Sometimes I do. And it's not like really like crazy. It's just like kind of like eating more than I should when I'm not hungry. Right. Well, thank you for sharing that. Honestly, I mean, my form of self-harm that I learned in intensive outpatient, um, was picking at my skin, right? picking at my nose, um, just constant, you know, checking things on my arms and it comes from my childhood where I would have these bumps on my arms and they would turn into sounds really gross turn into little pustules but I'd squeeze it until they bled and while I was depressed and in manic episode I couldn't control it and so I finally talked about it in IOP and to my therapist and they said this is a form of self-harm caused by your anxiety and that blew my mind it really did so Now I have an awareness, like, okay, if I'm picking a lot, then there's a deeper thing going on. Like, how can I help myself not do this behavior anymore? You know, that's really amazing that you just mentioned that, because, like, um, I just realized that I used to do that. Um, Not not quite as as manically, maybe, Mm -hmm. but, like, growing up, like, I used to pick at my face all the time, and it it was just a habit. Right. Um, and I don't know if it if it was, had anything to do with anxiety, but like I I did it like all the time, and I had like really bad acne, yeah. and really bad acne scarring in college, mm-hmm. and it's only more recently that I I've been taking really really good care of my skin, and I haven't done that intentionally because I know it's bad for my skin, and I want my skin to be flawless. Yeah. So. Well, it looks great right now. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Your skin actually looks really, really good, too. Thank you. I never would have guessed that. (laughs) My friend Ashley, who does graphic design for everything, she also works at Lush. And they have all their products that after a certain period of time, they will start to expire. So they encourage the employees to, you know, take the rest of the samples. And so she gave me... This face mask called Rosy Cheeks. Everyone go to Lush. Wow. It's awesome. I'm in the wrong career. I know. <laughs> go work there for, for Christmas and everything. Yeah. <laughs> or I'll, we'll just like, we'll hook up exactly. with her and she'll give you some samples. Um, but yeah, it's got the Rosy Cheeks stuff. It's awesome. Back to mental health. Love it. <laughs> Live it. Let's close up with mastery and self-soothe. What do you say? Sounds good to me. Okay, rock, pepper, scissors, who goes first? Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Alrighty. <laughs> I was trying to cover the rock. Also, <laughs> when I did me. the scissors, I put three fingers out. <laughs> Double scissors. Double scissors. All right, so mastery, Natalie. What are you going to do in the next 24 hours that'll make you feel more confident that you got this done? You know... I'm going to stick to my routines that have been helping me build habits. 
and build like healthy habits, build healthy habits, build productive habits, Mm -hmm. um, overcome or to an extent overcome my bouts of depression when they happen. Um, you know, just be on a good sleep schedule. Oh my God. Sleep is so important. Um, and then not being my phone so much. I, I actually, I've had to delete a lot of apps on my phone that I, I find I'm wasting time on. And yeah. I, there's still some apps that I need to get rid of, but I, I just haven't been able to bring myself to do that. So maybe for the next 24 hours um, after this, I'm just going to delete these apps because they're just waste of time apps. They're, they're not helpful in any way. Right. And that's not bringing any joy to your life yeah. or aiding in your mastery. Awesome. Well, it's, it's bringing like... Um, What's the word? It's bringing immediate gratification, but it's not bringing like any lasting happiness. There's longevity in this mastery. I like it. And for your self-soothe, what are you going to do tonight after we are done recording? What are you going to do for yourself? Um, you know what? I'm going to take a break from work because it's been a long day. And I have a lot of stuff that I could do, but it's good to, for your mental health, it's it's always good to take breaks um, and not work too long every day. I The, the key is, is just getting up um, and having those good, healthy morning routines mm-hmm. um, that inspire you to, to get your work done. And then having the rest of the day um, just to relax and recharge. Right. I love that like self-soothe if you're working uh, well I'll go to mine are you done? I think so yeah okay awesome mastering self-soothe I really like the work one I'm gonna start with self-soothe um, I realized yesterday um, because I was studying for this interview and getting everything together trolling your LinkedIn I'm sad that I just added you on Facebook this morning but I'll troll that later too um, just like learning everything self-soothe for me at the end of the day since I look at We Are No Alamo it's my job right now it's literally what I think about 24 hours a day and I dream about it but my self-soothe is at 5 o'clock from 5 to 7 close my computer put my pins away like clean up my desk just like I'm leaving work I'm leaving the office going to live my life for a minute so my self-soothe after I produce the podcast tonight is to just put it away and let it live for a minute, let it breathe, then come back tomorrow afternoon, listen to it, and then it'll be like a whole renewed perspective on this conversation because that's what it's all about. And I love hearing your story and I love hearing it over and over again every time I do this. For my mastery in the next 24 hours, this is actually a hard one for me. Ooh, my car. My car's a wreck. Like, not really, I didn't get into a wreck, but I missed my registration and I made an appointment to go to the controller or whatever because I have to pay a fine. But that's my mastery in the next 24 hours to go get my car registered. Okay, I think I'm going to build on, on mine Do just it. to be more specific and let everyone know what I've got planned. Okay. So my soothe for after this, I'm going to play piano because I have a piano here. And I'm going to 
work on a song I've been I've been trying to write. I love that. Do you think that you can give us a little ditty? I think so. I think I can. Yeah. I think I. You, you think I can? <laughs> like I can. You can. Yeah. Awesome. I'll, I'll definitely play a little thing. Yay! Alrighty. So, and you're adding to your mastery. Right. My mastery. Um. The next twenty four hours, I am going to do my laundry and put my clothes away, that. which is something I struggle with. Oh, right. I'm reading this book I talked about on the previous podcast called Hyperbole and a Half, and. It's like a graphic novel of, you know, these cartoons that this woman um, drew because it's easier to explain depression and, you know, how you beat yourself up. So she was like, I have a plate. There was food on it three days ago. And her inner self is like, why the fuck don't you just get up and put the plate up? Like, it's easy. You're like, but it's not. It would be such a mastery for me to go put this dish away. Yeah. And you that- know, I totally get it. That's that's why habits are so key because we right. throughout the day we only we have a limited amount of willpower, mm-hmm. and when we when we develop routines and those routines translate into habits, um, we we use less willpower because things right. that are habits we do automatically we don't have to think about them we don't have to force ourselves to do them they're just right. habits. I love that I really do, and Natalie, thank you so much again for being on the podcast. I appreciate your interview, your insight, your fortitude for just doing things. Well, thank like you. you're doing it. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, and your story is going to help a lot of people. I guarantee it. So thank you everybody again for listening. Remember, we want you stayed with us. You are not alone because we, we are, are no Alamo. Alamo. Ciao, poopsies.